right, well, good morning again. So, over the next couple weeks, we're going to be soaking in the season here at St. Paul's. And our theme for December, I'm calling Seasonal Signs. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be considering how uh, certain experiences or things that we encounter around this time of year can actually point beyond themselves to biblical truth, to aspects of the gospel. And the seasonal sign that we're considering today is waiting. Now that might seem like kind of an odd choice. Uh, waiting is not an object that you can hold in your hands. It's also not necessarily an experience that all of us have this time of year. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but these days it feels to me like Christmas comes at me like a freight train and I don't have enough time to get ready and just all of a sudden it is here. Um, but that was not the case when I was a kid. All of December when I was a child was one long wait, one agonizing wait for Christmas morning. Uh, repeatedly asking, right, how many more days, how many more sleeps, till Christmas morning. And then on Christmas Eve, time did this strange thing where it just slowed down to a crawl, right? And, and the weight was almost unbearable. I'd be lying in bed, unable to sleep, butterflies in my stomach, you know, and watching the second hand. You know how slowly the minutes go by, right? When you're watching the second hand tick. Um, now, I recognize that some of us might be a little bit uncomfortable with how much the Christmas season has become associated with presents and material stuff and that kind of thing. But regardless of how we feel about it, that experience of waiting that so many kids have throughout the month of December is actually a very appropriate experience for this time of year. Christmas Day, of course, celebrates Jesus' arrival, right? But in the traditional Christian calendar, the month before Christmas Day, what we call Advent, is supposed to be a season of waiting. You know, we call this season the Christmas season, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but traditionally, the Christmas season starts on Christmas Day, and it goes for 12 days, the 12 days of Christmas, until January 5th. And this season before is supposed to be this time of deferring celebration, right? until that, that special moment. And during Advent, we're supposed to identify with the Israelites who waited for centuries right, for the promised Messiah. So when we defer our celebration, when we defer opening those gifts, even though they're looking at us tantalizingly under the tree, when we are doing that, we are identifying with the Israelites' experience. And the fancy word for what we're doing is we are recapitulating the Israelites' experience, which, which basically means repeating this pattern from the past. So during Advent, we are recapitulating what happened in the past, which was expectation, anticipation, waiting, and then finally, fulfillment on Christmas. Now, the Israelites waited a very long time for the fulfillment of the promises of the Messiah. Uh, that's what we just sang about with the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. 
Come now long expected Jesus. How long was he expected? Well, the expectation is set at the very beginning of the Bible. The first book of the Bible. We only get three chapters in. Genesis chapter 3. Before this expectation is set. If you guys were here during the series on the creed. We talked about this not too long ago when we talked about Jesus being born of a virgin. But I'm going to go back to it real quick. Um, Most of you are probably familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. A mysterious serpent shows up and deceives Adam and Eve into eating from the one tree in the garden that they were commanded not to eat from. And he does that by convincing them that God is not really good. That's how he accomplishes the deceit. He basically says, oh, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he knows that if you ate from it, you would be like him. In other words, God wants to withhold something good from you. He doesn't really have your your best interests at heart. God is selfish. And so the serpent deceives Adam and Eve, and then they sin. Sin enters the world, and the harmony of creation is broken. But God makes a promise that one day this serpent will be crushed. One day his lying tongue will be silenced. And this will happen, God says, through a particular individual, a offspring of the woman, as it's put. Uh, This individual, God says, will crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will strike his heel. Now, at the time that that prophecy was given, it probably sounded very cryptic. It was probably hard to imagine. What does that mean? How will that be fulfilled? But today, we can look back and we can see how Jesus fulfilled this, right? Because through the cross... Jesus crushed the serpent, right? Uh, Through the cross, through his death on the cross, the serpent was stomped. The devil was defeated. The lies of the serpent were proven to be false. Because when we really understand what's happening at the cross, we know that God is truly good. God is not selfish. God is not trying to withhold any good thing from us. He so cares about us that he did not even spare his own son. Right? But offered him for our salvation. But in the process of stomping the serpent, the serpent, in the process of proving his lies wrong, that individual was wounded, was hurt, right? The cross hurt. The serpent struck his heel, just like if you were trying to uh, crush a serpent, right? As you brought your heel down on the serpent, it might bite back. And so at the very beginning of the Bible, the expectation was set. Someone is going to come who is going to set things right with the world. Someone is coming who is going to silence the serpent's lies and prove him wrong. And then there was a very long wait. Centuries of generations waiting. You may have noticed that in the Bible there are a lot of records of genealogies. Right In the book of Genesis, not long after this happens, there are the genealogies begin. You know, so-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. 
And when you look at those, I want you to think that is a record of waiting, right? Because with every generation, the question is hovering over each person that's born. Hey, could this be the person? Could this be the offspring of a woman that is going to crush the serpent? And over and over again, right, the answer is, well, no. <laughs> Wait. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. And the generations pass like ticks on the second hand. Over the centuries, more prophecies were given about this special person who was to come. And he was even given a title, the Messiah. Now, Messiah literally means anointed one. But the, the essence of what that word means is something like the king filled with God's spirit. As the centuries passed, the Jewish people continued to anticipate the arrival of this king, this Messiah. They continued to wait and wait and wait. And then, as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. When the set time had fully come, right? The simple way of putting that is when the time was right. When the time was right, Jesus was sent. Now, we might ask, okay, well, why was it that on that Christmas day, roughly 2,022 years ago, why was that, that the right time? Why not before? Why not later? And the truth is, we don't know, right? We might be able to come up with some plausible ideas about why that particular time in history was a good time for Christ to come, but the truth is, only God knows for sure. Right? But, but what Paul wants us to recognize is that God picked exactly the right time. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. Even though that exact time required generations of people to wait without seeing the fulfillment of the promise. Now, that might not seem fair. All those people... They didn't get to see the fulfillment in their lifetime. But think about it this way. Every generation throughout all of history, God has asked to wait. Right? We are no longer waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, but we're waiting now for his return. Right? We are still waiting for promises that have not been fulfilled. So it seems like God thinks that waiting is good for us. There's just something that God finds intrinsically valuable about waiting and about what waiting does to us and our character. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 5, verses 3, 3 through 5. It says, we also glory in our sufferings. In other words, we, we have joy about the hard things that we go through because... We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, 
at just the right time, there's that phrase again, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time, Jesus came. Now, what I really want us to notice here is Paul's emphasis on hope, right? He describes how suffering has the potential to lead to this chain of effects. And the culmination of all these effects, he says, is hope. There is something that is just special, valuable, about us becoming people of hope. Now, what is hope? Well, I would, I would define hope as the expectation of something good that we don't yet have. That's hope. And apparently, there is something very valuable at, about learning to become a person of hope. God cares about that. And, of course, you can't hope unless you're waiting, right? Those two things go together. God wants us, at a soul level, to become the kind of people who can live in an imperfect, broken, messed up world, but not fall into despair, because we have hope. Because we have this deep confidence that God, when the set time has fully come, will make things right. And that kind of trust, that kind of hope, enables us to go through our lives with joyful anticipation, like a kid going through December. The wait isn't easy, right? But it is still part of the fun. You know, I, I didn't get too old before I started to realize, oh, part of the whole fun of Christmas is the wait. It's the anticipation of the hope of what's to come. And God wants to infuse our whole lives with that kind of joyful anticipation. Are you a person of hope? Do you recognize that God wants to cultivate that quality in you? Now, I would say that the hope that God wants to cultivate in us, it takes two forms. So the first is what we might call ultimate hope. And ultimate hope is the hope that in the end, if we have put our trust in Christ, things are going to be okay. Whether the end is the day we die or, you know, the day that Christ returns. It's that confidence. Ultimately, things are going to be okay. As St. Julian of Norwich said, all will be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. It's the confidence that what Christ has in store for those who love him is better than we can imagine. And I think this ultimate hope is described so beautifully in one of the last chapters in Revelation. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. When we find ourselves facing death, mourning, crying, and pain, which we all do at some point, ultimate hope helps us to recognize that is all part of an order that's passing away. 
And we can have confidence of that because of Christ's resurrection, right? Christ's resurrection is the sign that a new order is coming. And ultimate hope enables us to hear the voice of God in the midst of the death and mourning and crying and pain. And to hear that voice saying, I'm making all things new. And believe it in our bones. That's ultimate hope. Now that hope is the most important kind of hope. That's the hope that can carry us through the trials of life. But I do think there's a second kind of hope. I don't want to limit the kind of hope that God offers to us just to this hope of ultimate, ultimately things being okay. okay. I think God also wants us to have hope for good things in our earthly lives. And, of course, this needs to be a little nuanced in how we understand this. But I think there's plenty of biblical reasons for us to believe that God doesn't want us to just assume everything's going to be awful until the end. That there is hope for us now, here and now in the present. The kingdom of God has a now and not yet quality to it. One verse that I think gives us grounds for this, and again, this is a verse that if you've been here at St. Paul's very long, you have heard me go back to. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I, I just find such comfort in these words, because it's like Jesus is saying, of course God wants to give you what's truly good. Duh. Why would you think otherwise? So ask him. Now, it is important to recognize that we don't always have the best idea of what a good gift is for ourselves. Okay, just like children don't always have the best idea of what a good gift is for them. But fathers do, right? That's what Jesus says here. He says, you fathers, though you are evil, you know how to give a good gift to your children. He doesn't say, children, you know what good gifts are, <laughs> right? Um, I almost all my life I've loved the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes um, gosh I bet college students today don't even know what Calvin and Hobbes is um, <laughs> well anyway Calvin is a six year old who um, is uh, he's quite a character but every Christmas he'll put a, a list together of the things he wants and he puts things on there like you know a rocket grenade launcher and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and sometimes when we ask God for things that we think are good, we're kind of like Calvin, you know, asking for a rocket grenade launcher. And God knows, well, that's not, uh, that's not going to be truly good for you. You know, we might come to God saying, I know that the good gift that I need is, you know, to be married to this particular person or uh, to have this particular job or to have this level of a salary or this particular house or something like that. And maybe it is, but God knows better than we do. Okay, what, what, what is truly good for us? And God also tells us that what is truly good for us actually doesn't have anything to do with material possessions. Right? Jesus said that the abundance of our lives should not be found in our stuff. Right? So the best gifts that God has to give us don't really have to do with things that you can hold in your hands. 
However, I always feel like I have to nuance things a little bit. Um, Jesus did tell us that we should trust God for our needs to be met, our material needs. So we are supposed to have a joyful anticipation that as we do our part, God will provide what we need, right? Remember what he said, you know, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. Your heavenly father will, will take care of these things for you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You know, he points out, look at the lilies of the field. Look how beautiful they are. But, you know, God clothes them. They don't, they don't spin their own attire, Right? Look at the birds of the air. You know They don't store up all their food in barns, but God feeds them. And he says that's the, the attitude that you're supposed to have. Trust that you know, God will provide. So God knows that one of the good gifts that we need is material stuff. And God invites us to trust him, to wait on him, to provide that. So that's true, but what God wants us to hope for is even better gifts than that. A verse that comes to my mind is Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than, we, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. His power that is at work within us. Now, again, the mistake that we can make by looking at a verse like this is to think, oh, all right, God's saying that I shouldn't just expect shelter, I should expect a mansion. And I shouldn't just expect transportation to get from A to B, I should expect a Porsche. He can do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. But that's not really the spirit of this verse. Notice what it says. According to his power that is at work within us. What Paul is talking about here, what he's saying is that God can do more than we might expect, more than we can imagine, through the church. And what is the function of the church? Well, the function of the church is not to acquire a bunch of material stuff, right? The function of the church is to demonstrate the kingdom of God. It's to share the love of Christ. It's to witness to the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. And what Paul is saying is, God, working through the church, can, it, can spread the kingdom of God beyond what you would ever expect. And you know, when you think about how, this, how long ago this was written in the early church, and then how far the church was going to spread, going to spread, right? Those, those words have already been fulfilled immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. There will be people on the other side of the world who are gathering on Sunday morning like we are right now to worship Jesus Christ. But do we still believe that? Do we still believe and have this joyful anticipation that God can work through us, this church family here, to bring healing and life and transforma transformation to, to us and to the community around us. Do we have that kind of hope? God wants us to have that kind of hope. And if we feel like we've been waiting a long time for that ha to happen, God wants us to keep waiting and keep hoping. God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. 
Do we have a joyful anticipation of that, or are we cynical? Or how about this kind of hope? Do we have hope that God's Spirit can work in our lives to break long patterns of sin or addiction? You know, I think that... Okay, don't take me the wrong way here. I like personality tests. I do. I think they can be instructive. They can help us to learn more about ourselves. But the danger is that we take these tests and then we think, well, this is just who I am, faults and all, right? So be like, you know, well, I'm just a short-tempered person. It's my personality, you know. I, I'm somebody who holds on to grudges. It's, I can't let things go. It's just my personality, right? And what we need to believe if we've gotten into that frame of mind is God can do immeasurably more through his power working within us to transform us, right? We don't have to be bitter people. We don't have to be people who are always holding grudges. We don't have to be people who are stuck in the same patterns that we've been stuck in for the last several decades. There is hope of transformation and change. But the moment we stop hoping for that or stop waiting for that or start, stop uh, participating in that, then, yeah, then, then nothing's going to happen, right? We just resign ourselves cynically to being stuck. God wants us to be people of hope. Now, perfection, the Bible says, doesn't come until, you know, after death, after the resurrection. And that means we'll be hoping to some extent for our entire lives, which is a good thing. God wants to cultivate that quality in us. But we can grow. We can, we can get better. We can transform. God's spirit can do immeasurably more. Are you a person of hope? That... That's the question that I want you to sit with today and maybe throughout this week. Am I a person of hope? Am I someone who can wait expectantly for the good things that God promises? Or have I become a person of cynicism? God calls us, his church, to be filled with hope. Even if that means waiting a long, long time. Because when the set time has fully come, God acts to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your hope today. Lord, we recognize that hope was deferred for so many generations as people waited for the Messiah. And we also recognize that hope was fulfilled through Jesus, through your Son. We celebrate that, Lord. And we also recognize that we are waiting now, that hope is deferred. And Lord, as we wait in hope, transform us more into people who reflect your glory and help us as your church to trust that you really can do immeasurably more in and through us to spread the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.